Well, other than the Bible, there have been a number of books that have made a significant impact upon me in ministry. For example, there have been a number of, of theology books that I've read, once again, along with the Bible, that have greatly shaped the way I think about God and the way I think about the Christian faith and the way in which I view the world. There have been a number of books on preaching that I have read that have influenced the way in which I prepare each week and preach Sunday after Sunday. There have been a number of books on the spiritual disciplines that have helped improve my personal Bible study, prayer time, have improved my overall walk with Christ. There have been a number of books that I've read on missions that have opened my eyes to what God's Word teaches about missions and why it is important and why we as a church should be all about missions and how we should approach missions ministry. I've, I've read a number of books on leadership that have helped me in dealing with people and making decisions. There have been a, a number of books in my life, in addition to the Word of God, that have shaped the way I view and do ministry. And one book that has made a significant impact in my life as a pastor is this book here. Uh, it's the next slide there. Tom Rainer's book, Simple Church. Very good book. But here's the interesting thing about this book. When I read it through the first time, it really didn't teach me a, a new way to look at the role of the church. It didn't give me a new philosophy of ministry. My philosophy of ministry was pretty well established at that time. But what this book did do is it helped me to better explain my philosophy of ministry. Does that make sense? You ever, you ever had someone say something and you think to yourself, that's what I believe as well? They just said it a lot better than I did, right? That's the way I felt about, about Tom Rainer's book, Simple Church. It's what I believe as well, but he just says it a lot better than, than I do. So this book didn't change my philosophy of ministry, but it helped me to better explain the way I think ministry needs to be done and why I believe that. This book made a huge impact in that way in my ministry. My philosophy of ministry is very, very important to me. In fact, one of the main reasons I came to this church initially, other than, of course, the fact that I agreed doctrinally with the staff and the, the leadership and the church was because of the church's philosophy of ministry. When I was in Fort Smith, Arkansas, eight years ago, there uh, I had been offered a few other opportunities while I was there that I turned down because of differences in this area when it comes to philosophy of ministry. Jim Wilson was here before me, and uh, many of you know Jim. He, he also was here. He was here on an interim basis before I came, right before I came, but he was here at first. He's the one that God used to, to plant this church back in the 80s, but Jim came back for a period of time, and when he contacted me and began to talk to me about the opportunity to come to serve in Jacksonville, one of the defining moments for me was when the elders sent me a copy of the church's statement of faith and the mission statement of the church. After reading that, I knew 
that Fellowship Bible Church, Jacksonville, Texas, was a place where I could see myself because I was in agreement with the church in these two areas. Now, some of you are probably wondering after all that, well, what is the church and what is your philosophy of ministry? Well, I'm glad you asked because for the next few weeks, that's what we're going to be discussing. Now, I need to say this. We are not dropping the book of Hebrews, okay? For those of y'all wondering about that, we spent a good portion of last year in Hebrews. We're going to come back and we're going to finish Hebrews after this, okay? We've still got 11, 12, and 13 to go. And there are a couple of other books that I want to get through this year, smaller books, and then we're going to tackle another large book. What we do normally in here, as many of you know, but for our visitors to let you know, we normally take a book of the Bible and we go chapter by chapter, verse by verse, through books of the Bible. And we have been through quite a few since I've been here. But to start off the new year, I thought it'd be good to do a five-week series entitled Discovering Fellowship. For the next five Sundays, we're going to be talking about who we are as a church, why we exist, and why we do the things we do. And what I hope happens over the next five weeks is that for those of you all who do not know what we're all about, my prayer is that you'll have a better understanding of who we are. And for those of you all who have a good grasp on who we are and our mission statement and our philosophy of ministry, my hope and prayer for you is that through this series, you would come away being better able to communicate our mission to others and that you would also understand your role in helping us put feet to our mission statement. In the first sermon of the series that I want to share with you, I want to share with you first that we at Fellowship are all about making disciples. We're all about making disciples. Now, to begin, let's, let's talk a little bit more about this book. Let's look at it again. Simple Church. Here it is up on the screen again. Just in case you can't read it, I don't know, you can't, definitely can't read that subtitle there of the book, but I'll read it for you. It really captures what this book is all about. The title of the book is Simple Church. The subtitle is Returning to God's Process of Making Disciples. In this book, Rayner makes the point that there are a lot of churches today doing a lot of things. I know many of you know of a few. Even some of the smallest of churches, there are tons of things going on. There, there are tons of programs, activities. So the church, no matter the size, is busy for the most part. And what Rayner has found when examining these churches is that busyness doesn't always mean healthy. Okay? Though the church may be doing a lot of things is really busy, as busy as other churches in the community. That does not mean the church is healthy and is functioning in the way it should. What you often find is the opposite is in fact true. A lot of the time in churches, here's what you have. You have a program for everything, and each program has a different 
purpose, a different mission statement. The people serving in those particular areas of ministry have no idea what that mission statement is, and neither do other people in the church. They don't know what the, the main purpose of the church is, just a program for everything, a mission statement for every program, and the church is going in all different directions, and nobody really knows what the church is all about. Very confusing and frustrating. These churches are working as hard as any, but they are twice as ineffective, according to Rayner, because they don't have an overarching biblical purpose and they're getting nowhere. That is why many of these churches with these numerous programs and, and, and mission statements. They, they're, they're so confused about what's going on. They're, they're working harder, not smarter. It's like swinging a dull axe at a gigantic tree. They're not even making a dent. Rayner goes on to make the point that he also observed in his studies that the opposite is also true. He noticed in his study that, that one of the main characteristics of healthy churches they examined is that, that each one of these, they did have an overarching biblical purpose and the people in the church, for the most part, they understood what the purpose of the church was and even understood their place, their role, their part in helping the church accomplish that one purpose. He, he makes the argument that for a church to be healthy, it needs to return to a very simple and clear understanding of the mission of the church from Scripture. And do you know what that mission is? Scripture is clear what that mission is. During Jesus' earthly ministry, he gave his disciples a very simple-to-understand mission. He gave them a clear assignment of what they're to be doing until he returns. And this assignment is found in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. We have the passage up here. I'm not going to read it. It's in your uh, verse for the week and your study guides this week. You can read that or you can read it right now while I'm talking. But Jesus, he basically says this. He's getting ready to return to the Father, to ascend to His right hand. This is during His post-resurrection ministry. And He says, as you're going, you're to be making disciples by baptizing them and teaching them to observe My teachings. Pretty simple, right? As you're going, that's what you're to be doing. That's what the church is to be all about until Christ returns. So this book, Tom Rainer's book, it makes this argument that for us to become more effective and healthy as a church, we need to return to Jesus' simple and clear and practical mission. We need to be all about making disciples. And I don't know if you've read our mission statement. I know Ron made mention of it last week and explained it, but here's the mission statement of our church, just in case you don't know. It's in your bulletin as well. Let's, let's read this together. It says this, Fellowship Bible Church exists for the purpose of making disciples by escorting people to Christ, establishing people in truth, and equipping people for ministry. We want to see people at this church who don't know Christ come to know Christ. Very, very important. Well, you had the gospel just laid out last week, right? But that's not all. 
That's simply the beginning. Remember, Jesus said, make disciples, not make new converts, right? Now, in order for you to become a disciple, you have to first forsake your sin and give your life up and over to the Lord Jesus, make him the Lord of your life. But that is just the beginning. We then want to take those here at this church who have committed their life to the Lord Jesus and number two, establish them in truth. In other words, we as a church, in the ministries of our church, through the teachings of our church, we want to come alongside believers and help them grow in their knowledge of God and the Christian faith from the Scriptures. But not only that, we also want to equip people for ministry. That's what it means when it says, make disciples. So if someone were to ask you about our church and what our church is all about, you can tell them this. The purpose of our church is to make disciples through escorting people to Christ, establishing them in truth, and equipping them for ministry. All right? Now, what I want to do for the rest of the morning is I want to talk a bit more about why we at Fellowship Bible Church should be all about making disciples. I want to show you from Scripture why this should be one of our main goals here at our church. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. I know I could easily take you back to Matthew 28 to show you where Jesus clearly tells us to make disciples, but I like Ephesians 4, 11 through 14. And the reason why is because in this passage, Paul explains to us how God wants us as a church to be all about discipleship. So let's look at it. I want you to notice several principles for discipleship that we have in this text. Several principles we learn here. Number one, we learn from this text that God has gifted pastors so they will equip believers. God has gifted pastors so they will equip believers. Let's begin in Ephesians 4.11. Paul says... And he, and the context here is, the he here is Christ, all right? That's in the context. And he, Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. So in verse 11, Paul says that Jesus has given all of God's people, he has given his churches gifts. He has given all God's people gifts that he expects them to use. And he goes on to list these foundational gifts that Christ has given to the church. The first one he mentions is apostles. An apostle is someone who has seen and been commissioned by the risen Christ, all right? The second gift Christ gives to the church is prophets. The prophets were those people who spoke revelation from God before the written revelation of God was completed, all right? Now, by that definition there, I don't believe today that we still have apostles and prophets in our churches as I just described them here, all right? They were present in the first century church, and we do have their message from Scripture that is to be taught in our churches, but they are the foundation layers. Scripture makes that clear. They're the ones that laid the foundation, and later ministers come along and they build upon that ministry to build up the church and to advance God's 
kingdom. The third gift mentioned here is evangelism, the evangelist. Who are the evangelists? I know you probably have some images popping in your mind right now, some of those not so good. But who are the evangelists? These are people who go place to place where there are no believers, no churches, share the gospel in hopes that people will come to Christ and that churches will be started. The Apostle Paul, by that definition, was an evangelist, right? So this group goes and they plant churches in areas where there are no churches. The fourth gift is that of preaching and Teaching. Now, you could separate these. Some do. Some put them together in English. They look like, in the English translations, they look like two separate things. Some have combined them because in the Greek they share the same singular article, both of those words. But while some argue there's a distinction between shepherds and teachers in this text, whether you separate them or not, there is no denying that the two are closely related because teaching is an important part of what shepherds do. It's an important role to feed the sheep. We're going to focus this morning in on that role of the pastor teacher and his role in the church. But before we do, there's a question that we need answered here when looking at all of these gifts listed here. One needs to ask the question, why... Did Christ give the church these foundational gifts of apostles and prophets and the gifts of evangelists and pastor teachers? Why did God give the church these gifts? Is it so that members of the church could just gather in week in and week out and just watch these people work and do the work of ministry? Is that what it's all about? A lot of times it's kind of how we think about ministry, right? We think about it in this way. We, we think about it kind of like a sporting event, like a, like a football game. When you go to a football game, you participate to an extent. You wear the team's colors. You cheer your, your favorite team to victory. But let's be honest. Though we often give ourselves high fives when our team scores and wins, we're not playing the game and we, we ultimately play no part in the outcome of that game, right? I mean, if you yourself didn't go to that game, the result would still be the same. Am I right? Some of you superstitious sports fans say, no, I need to be there for them to win. But no, no. Sorry to rain on your parade. It would still be the same. A lot of people, they think of ministry in this way. They, they think that those who are to do the work of ministry are the hired staff people, the, the, the pastor teachers, the evangelists. That's their responsibility to do the work of ministry. And we're just kind of here to show our support. I mean, we'll come, we'll sing songs, we'll clap, we'll nod our heads, we'll say amen, but we're really not the ones who are supposed to be doing the work of ministry. Many think in that way, but is that what this passage is teaching? Is it teaching that it is the apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors and teachers who are responsible for doing ministry while the rest of the church just sits back and shows support. Well, let's keep reading. Let's read 11 and 12 together. It says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of 
of Christ. So here's what Paul's saying here, and Ron touched on this last week. I appreciate you doing some legwork for me. He's saying that God has gifted leaders like pastors and teachers for the purpose of equipping God's people, believers, to do the work of ministry. So my role in this church, according to Scripture, is to equip you believers to use your gifts for the purpose of ministry. Is that not what that says? Paul says that in verse 12. And that moves us right into our second point. We've already said it. God equips believers so they'll do the work of ministry. Our first point is that God has gifted pastors so they'll equip believers. Number two, God equips believers so they'll do the work of ministry. The word prepare or equip used here in verse 12 carries with it the idea of preparing a room, getting a room ready for a grand event. Last October, we had an awesome event on Reformation Sunday. Many of y'all remember that. Took a lot of hard work to prepare. Many of y'all will also remember that our screens went out that morning, which made for a wild Sunday morning, especially that first service. That was pretty crazy. And because they went out, we had a, we had a uh, video that we were going to show that evening, a movie we were going to show that evening. And so we had to bring in screens and, and projectors, and I had to set up my laptop. It took a lot of a lot of time set up the speakers and everything. We normally have that already prepared. And that's just for the movie. And then we had our ladies. They had to prepare all the tables and all the food for over 100 people who are here for this big event. Took a lot of work to prepare that room. And that's the kind of image that's going on here in verse 12. God has told us in his word, That we as believers, when we come to meet together at his church, we are to meet together for this reason, to get prepared, to get ready, to get equipped for the purpose of ministry. You may not have realized that's why you're here at church this morning, believers, but according to Scripture, the main reason you're to be here this morning is to get equipped to get prepared to be out there and to do out there what God has called you to do out there. That's why you're here this morning. It's not just to feel good, though we often do when we meet together with God's people and hear from God's Word. It's not just to get a a boost for the week, though that often happens as well. You are here to get equipped, to get prepared to do ministry in your world So really, the better image of the church is not going to a game as a spectator cheering on others to do the work of ministry. The church is really more like practice. This time of corporate meeting, it's a time when you come, it's a training time. Time when you come and train to get ready. It's a place where you come to get equipped so that you can effectively do the work of ministry to the glory of God. That's that's it. Now, the question we need to ask now is, what's the ministry we're to be doing? That leads us to our third point. Believers do ministry so the church will be built up. 
God has gifted pastors so that they will equip believers. God equips believers so that they will do ministry. Believers do ministry so the church will be built up. Look at verse 12 again. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. The ministry we're to be getting equipped to do is to build up the body of Christ, growing people up in Christ, maturing people in Christ. That is the business we're to be all about. We're to be growing up in Christ. We're to be maturing in our faith. And then we're to pour into others in this church and outside this church. We're to escort those who don't know Christ to Christ, pour into them so that they mature in Christ, so that the church is built up and so that the gospel advances. That's it. That is the mission of this church. We're to come here to get equipped to do that work so that we can in turn go out from this place or pour into the ministries in this place, help others Come to know Christ, escort them to Christ, pour into them so that they grow up in Christ, so that the church is built up, so that the gospel advances. Paul says this in 2 Timothy 2.2. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That's what we're to be doing, believers. We're to be coming here to get equipped so that we can go out there, go into the ministries of this church, go out into our world and equip others so that they will go and equip others so that they will go and equip others. Do you see how that works? That's how God has set this thing up. This is so key. We, we have missed this. We really have. We have, we have a, a big misunderstanding as believers today. We, we believe, many of us do, that God has gifted us. We may even rightly understand that, that the church is the place to get equipped to use that gift. But a lot of the times, we reason and believe that the gift is ultimately for us. It's to benefit me. It's to put the spotlight on me. Say, hey, come check me out. See the way God has gifted me. Look how spiritual I am. I've heard people say this. God has given me a gift, so it's my duty to put that gift on display, showcase that gift to the world. The question for that person is, for what purpose? Just to show how gifted and how spiritual you are? According to this verse, that's an incorrect use of the gifts God has given you. Paul says the purpose of the gifts that we have, which we've all been gifted in unique ways, in this church we've been put here for a specific purpose to pour into people so that they grow up in Christ so that the church is built up. That's the reason. It's a purpose much, much bigger than you. Much, much bigger than me. He has given us gifts. He wants us to get equipped and prepared to use that gift so that his church will be built up. Look at verse 13. Paul says, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This verse tells us we're to be committed, believers, to be doing this work, to be making disciples until we are complete in Christ. Now, we are nowhere close to that, are we? 
You agree with me? Say yes. Yeah. We're not. I like the way Paul Tripp puts it. He says, there are no grace graduates this side of glory, right? There are no grace graduates in here. Though we as a church are referred to as the body of Christ, which should show how significant the church really is, right now, many of our churches are not really being the body very well. And I think we would all agree that we could all be the body better. All of our churches could be the body better. So because this is the case, our our goal should be to continue to pursue godliness and and mature individually and corporately as a church and pour in to one another so that we're built up so that we can better function as an extension of Christ as His body. When little babies first learn to walk, they're pretty awkward, aren't they? I mean, I'm, I'm not being mean, I'm just being honest. They fall down a lot. It takes them a while to realize they have joints, right? They just kind of walk stiff-legged and, and stumble around to get to where they're going. They can't get anywhere very fast, but their little bodies don't stay that way, right? They, they mature. They eventually grow and mature and function properly. And we as a church are, are to be doing the same thing, maturing in that way. That's the illustration that Paul uses here. Many of our churches lack maturity. They're not being the body very well. So what we're to be doing in response is is maturing. We're to be coming here to to get equipped to grow as individuals and as a church so we can better represent our head, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says here in verse 13, we're to be maturing in this way until we are complete in Christ. And though you know and I know that's not ultimately going to happen until Christ returns, we have our aim, right, that we're to be setting our sights on. We're to be following hard after Christ. We're to be pursuing godliness. Paul says we're to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. Paul says in Philippians we're to be pressing on, right, to be more like Christ. And then Paul goes on to tell the benefit of maturing in this way. Look at verse 14. He says, So that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, in deceitful schemes. Paul says we're to no longer be infants, believers, No longer to be children. Another common characteristic of all children is that they're immature, right? And our responsibility as parents and grandparents is to be pouring into them and teaching them so that they mature, so that that they don't always act that way. But that takes time. An example is that our our kids, when they're young, they, they can be real gullible, right? Naive. Sometimes we... Kind of play tricks. Maybe that's just me. I'm confessing. I know y'all don't do that. Kind of play tricks on your kids because they are so gullible. Right? They take everything they hear at face value. They think that's what you said, so that's what I'm going to go with. But eventually, they start questioning things, even that you say. Sometimes we get frustrated by that, but that's a good thing. They're, they're, they're growing. They're learning. They learn to question. They they. They gain some some knowledge, some wisdom, and they're at times able to tell the truth from a lie. Paul is saying that's the way it should be for us, believers. When we first come to Christ, we're immature, we're infants, we're, we're, we're children. Anything we hear, we just sort of believe it. 
my first few years becoming a Christian, when somebody would give me a book, I would read it, and when I read that book, I'd believe everything the author said. Say, yeah, that sounds good. And then somebody would give me another book that would be saying something different, and I would read it and believe everything he said. Say, yeah, that sounds right too. And then I was in a dilemma. What am I supposed to believe? And, and though the Spirit of God was working in me, throwing up red flags and, and guiding me and, and keeping me from major doctrinal errors, I made some minor doctrinal errors. It took me years of studying God's Word to develop more of a discerning spirit. And I began to realize just because a book, especially because a book's in a Christian bookstore, doesn't mean that we should agree with it. Some of the most dangerous books are in Christian bookstores. Some I wish they would take off the shelves. Damaging to your faith. But when you first become a Christian, you're, you're naive. And if you're there, hey, listen, it's okay. Christian maturity takes time. Just don't stay there. That's what's key. Move toward maturity. Our girls act real silly a lot. And it's understandable, but it's at times pretty ridiculous. And at times I'll say, girls, that's too much, you know. You need to straighten up. But it's understandable for their age. But an adult acting that way, it's different, right? We have some that should be mature that are not acting in that way. But if you're immature in your faith, if you're, if you're young in the faith, it's okay as long as you don't stay there. We need to be moving towards spiritual maturity. I tell people this all the time. My aim for each and every one of you here is for you to move forward in your faith. I don't want this person over here to be exactly like that person spiritually and this person to be like that person. We're not measuring you by other people and saying, man, you got a lot of work to do this next year. No, our, our, our goal is to work on God's timing as he's working in your heart and life. And we want to come alongside you through the ministries of this church and take you from where you are forward in your faith. That's my hope and prayer for all of you. That's what I pray for you each and every Sunday morning when we gather in here. I look at your faces and I pray that God would move you forward in your faith and use the ministries of this church to do that. We need to be maturing in this Way We need to mature to, to, through, through the teaching of the Word and through the ministry of the church to begin to think rightly, to think biblically, because right thinking leads to right living. I know I sound like a broken record saying that, but it's so very important because there are a lot of churches today. I, I saw a book recently kind of criticizing uh, churches and believers focusing so much on theology. Like theology is something just for the seminary students in their ivory tower somewhere. No, theology is so very vital. It's very, very important to study theology because what you think influences the way in which you live, what you say and do. So it's important that you think rightly so that you live rightly. And once again, where are we to go to develop and mature in this way? Here, to the church. 
The church is where you get equipped to think rightly about the world. The church is where you go to develop and mature. It's where you go to grow up in Christ, to learn to think rightly and biblically about the world so that you can live accordingly. That's the purpose of this church. That's God's purpose for this church. I believe it's God's purpose for every church, and it's our purpose here at Fellowship Bible Church. Maybe upon hearing this message this morning, you're saying to yourself, you know what? I've got a desire to grow up in Christ. I'd like to do it here, but honestly, do not know where to begin. Let me begin at the beginning. Ask you first and foremost, do you know Christ personally have you come to the point in your life where you have turned from going at life on your own you have forsaken sin which by the way that's what sin is going at life on your own living apart from and opposed to what god created and and the way he created you to live have you gotten to that point in your life where you've forsaken your ways where you've turned from going at life on your own, and, and have you bowed your knee to King Jesus? Have you made Christ the Lord of your life? That's where it begins. Before you can be established in truth and equipped for ministry, you have to first come to know Christ. If you've never made that decision, now's the time. Today's the day to do that. I invite you to do that. If you would turn from your life of sin, trust in Christ alone for your salvation, you can be made right with God right now and begin this wonderful, exciting journey that we as believers are on toward maturity, toward Christ-likeness. Your journey toward Christ-likeness can begin today if you would repent of your sins and make Christ Lord. If you have not, I pray you would. Let's pray.